If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It's Wednesday on Today in Ohio. That means we have chief politics writer Seth Richardson with us to talk about all things political. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Seth and Laura Johnston. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Let's get started about Ohio losing some of its hipness. What's the bad news for Ohio because of the collapse of the value of Peloton as a company, Lisa? Yeah, this is a real bummer. Uh, because of Peloton's troubles, they you know, fired their CEO and laid off about 3,000 people in their corporate uh, headquarters. But yeah, that means the death knell for Peloton Output Park, which is that $400 million facility that was being built in Troy Township. Uh, Peloton has already spent upwards of $100 million on this. This property. And I saw some photos yesterday and a lot of the exterior walls are already up. So Peloton has promised that they will fill, finish the building shell and then sell it along with the land by the end of 2023, which is, I don't know, that seems like a little bit above and beyond. It'll be eventually a 1 million square foot building. Uh, of course, they got a lot of incentives to bring their uh, plant here. Uh, none of those incentives have been paid out at this point because they were tied to economic development and and uh hiring. So Jobs Ohio had $50 million in grants on the promise of 2,174 jobs and a $130 million payroll. $5 million of that was going to be for workforce development, $45 for economic development. Also, the Ohio Tax Credit Authority approved 2.3 15-year tax credit worth about $47 million. But again, I said, these incentives have not been paid out. But what a bummer in Troy. I mean, it was so exciting and groundbreaking. It was going to bring high paying jobs and now it's kaput. So we'll see what happens with that building once it gets, finished. you know, we, right. We do know that there are manufacturers in America that want to bring manufacturing back to our soil because of all the supply chain problems that were illustrated by the pandemic. So having a brand new million square foot building ready to go, I would imagine that would be attractive because if you wanted to get going in, in this country, you don't have to build it first. You could pretty much move in. So we'll have to see what, what is interesting about this. You know, I've said before, I'm a Peloton rider. I'm coming up as five years of doing it. And, you know, we're pretty much a cult. People who do that <laughs> are just crazy about it. They they all have their favorite instructors. And, and, you know, what Peloton figured out early is they're not really a hardware company as much as they are a software company. It's the programming that makes it special. 
But it's been fascinating to watch this collapse because they had gambled on the continued growth they saw during the pandemic, which was silly. I mean, that was very special growth because everybody was stuck at home. Um, but for the, the CEO has now stepped down. They brought in a guy who used to run Netflix and, uh, you know, all of the cult members are worried that this, this thing that has driven them for all these years is going to go away. I can't imagine that whatever happens, they're going to allow the software part of it to decline. Well, and, we'll but have they to, have a lot see. of, it's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad, but they have a lot of competitors nipping, nipping at their heels now. So that's another factor to consider. I know, but but I get back to though, if the competitors cannot develop the kind of program that Peloton has with these instructors who are like rock star celebrities now, then it's hard to compete with Peloton. And it look, it'll be interesting if the people running it destroy what made it special. You're right; the competitors will swallow them up. There's still buzz that Amazon or Apple might buy it because it's a great deal. And if Apple were to get that, I think Apple would embrace it immediately. Apple has been trying to become a fitness company for a long time without much success. This would give them a whole lot of really dedicated subscribers. But it's not going to be Ohio-based. That's the shame of it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With all of the bad things that the Ohio Public Utilities Commission did to Ohioans during the House Bill 6 scandal and beyond... Do we finally have candidates for the commission who have the interest of the ratepayers in mind? Laura, there are four people that have been sent to Mike DeWine. Do any of them care what we think? I mean, what's your guess? No. <laughs> no, right, exactly. Did you expect anything more from this group? Two have ties to the industry. Two are Republicans through and through. And Mike DeWine now has 30 days to choose one of the four names put forward by the PUCO nominating council. So the four people are the incumbent PUCO commissioner, Dan Conway. He's a former utilities lawyer. Stephen Sereno, a seven-time applicant, which makes you wonder what happened those other six times. <laughs> He's a political independent who's an executive with the Upper Peninsula Power Company in Michigan. Dan Wilchinski is a Toledo area Republican and process safety manager at Marathon Petroleum. And David Yarnell, a Westerville Republican who works as utility services manager at Sam Companies. That's a construction firm. So, I mean, none of these people speak to me as like one of the people, like I, I stand up for the regular customers of the utility. And so, I mean, DeWine has said in the past that he is no longer going to appoint people to this five member commission who have a background or connection in the industry, but this is who he's getting. He can reject all of these if he wants. Why would we even consider somebody that's on the upper peninsula of Michigan? Is there nobody <laughs> in Ohio that would be a fit? I, I don't, that was the one that threw me. It's like, that's not even nearby Michigan. That's no. far <laughs> that's away Michigan. Far away. <laughs> no, I, I don't understand it at all. And we just talked about how there's two new members on this PUCO nominating council and, uh, because Chair Michael Corrin, he had resigned last month after helping First Energy lobby for HB6 in 2019. And the new chair is a Republican former mayor of Columbus named Greg Lashutka. But it doesn't seem like anybody's really got the consumers in mind here. 
Yeah, it's it's a surprise. We also have a recent appointment in Dave Wondolowski, who we know has been trying to be a political kingmaker in Cuyahoga County with pretty much zero success. He's the guy that got up on the stage and said he was going to but, kick the S out of Justin <laughs> Bibb, a worthy person for Mike DeWine to put on the nominating commission. But he didn't even stand up for the consumer. I mean, he's part of this group and this is what we come up with. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this isn't uncommon in state government. There's a lot of councils for for commissions that nominate for all these boards, like oil and gas, too. And, I mean, I understand they want someone in expertise in this. They don't just, like, want a retiree who's, you know, on the library board and thought they'd do this for fun. I, I get that they should know the industry, but it seems to me there are way too many of the industry insiders supposedly making decisions that help consumers. Yeah, well, you know, we should point out John Cranley is running for governor has said he would blow this thing apart and start over trying to make it more consumer oriented. I hope this becomes part of the race for governor. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why did Republicans in the Ohio legislature summarily drop their plan to introduce new congressional maps, leaving the job now to the Ohio Redistricting Commission instead? Seth, we were expecting to see these maps, I think, by the Friday deadline, but all of a sudden, they're not going to do it. Yeah, and I mean, the short answer is that they're basically trying, they don't want to even try to court Democratic votes in the legislature, so they're kicking it to the Ohio Redistricting Commission where they you know, have clearly shown they don't necessarily need the any Democratic votes to get the four-year maps that they want, so... Um, and, it, and it's interesting, the the process that, uh, you, you know, why? Because you think for the maps to pass, everybody knows that Demo some Democrats have to get on for there to be 10-year maps. But Democrats would have had to get on for these maps, just two of them, because there are 64 House Republicans, but 66 House votes are needed for a law to change or for a law to pass with um, an emergency clause to basically go into effect instantly and not have a 90 day waiting period. So there's a process part of it as well. But I think it's pretty clear that Cup and Huffman just really had no interest in courting Democrats at all or thinking that they would get anybody on board, which is a pretty clear preview of the kind of maps we're going to see before the Ohio Redistricting Commission. Although the Ohio Supreme Court has made clear they're not standing for gerrymandering. I mean, they've sent the legislative maps back twice. And I wondered if what was going on here was that the maps that Cup and Huffman were getting ready to introduce were were just as bad as the second round of maps in the legislative arena. And they figured, well, let's not do that because the Supreme Court's just going to kick them back. Let's let's not take responsibility at all. Let's have the <laughs> redistricting commission fall on that sword. I think that's part of it. And when you talk about, you know, you talk in political circles around the state, they you know, there's this growing feeling that what um, Cup and Huffman and Republicans are trying to do is basically run out the clock. So they just continue to, um, you know, put forward unconstitutional, you know, unconstitutional maps that get overturned by the court until it's too late. And they can basically say, well, these are the maps we're going with. We'll solve it later, you know, after this election. And we know that after this election, there's a really good chance that, uh, you know, Republicans are going to have a very solid 4-3 majority on the Supreme Court. So I, I, I and and there is some precedent for that where the legislature has ignored Supreme Court decisions in the past with the DeRolf decision. So that, that yeah, could although be... Seth, that's a very different animal. I, I would worry if I were them that if they just get in the face of the Supreme Court that way, Supreme Court could hold them in contempt. I mean, that that's a dangerous I mean, they're creating a constitutional crisis 
by rejecting that third branch of government. The Supreme Court has the power to do what it's doing. And if they refuse to follow that, they're violating the Constitution, which they've done repeatedly, and and getting in the face of the four members of the Supreme Court. I, I, that, I, I would be surprised if that flew, if they just said, yeah, we're ignoring you. We're going to do what we want to do. You know, they could order them into a cell and say, we'll let you out when you come out with fair maps. It's a it's a risk. It is definitely a risk. But I think we have seen in the past that Republicans are very willing to take it, you know, as close to the edge as possible. Now, I you know, this that that's just kind of whispers in political circles that people talk about. So, hey, you know what? Maybe uh, past precedent isn't exactly indicative of what we will see in the future. Who knows? Maybe we will get something kind of resembling uh, fair maps when the redistricting commission you know, puts out whatever their congressional plan is going to be. Yeah, it wouldn't take that much work to to make the legislative maps work according to what the Supreme Court said. The journey from the second set of maps to the third set isn't nearly as far as the journey from the first to the second. So they can actually do this without too much pain. Uh, you know, do they really want to cause a constitutional crisis? I mean, we haven't seen that before. That's a complete breakdown in the government. And look, the, the Supreme Court said you keep bringing up the timing. You can change the timing. Mm. They could change the primary to July if they wanted to. I mean, for the Cleveland mayor's race, the primary was what? September, right? September. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason to that the, the legislature can't accommodate a different timeline. Fascinating stuff. We'll have to see what they do next. It's Today in Ohio. Are some landlords in Cleveland going to court to fight for their right to have lead paint in houses that they rent to people? Lisa, this is an interesting one. The housing court is trying to make the housing safe for people and their children, and the landlords are fighting back. Yeah, it's kind of a head scratch. Well, maybe not really. But uh, yeah, Cleveland Housing Court Judge uh, W. Mona Scott, I don't know if it's Mona or Monet because she has an accent over the A. But anyway, she implemented this rule last year. It requires landlords to certify that their properties comply with Cleveland's lead safe laws before they can pursue eviction. So the owner of the Shaker House Apartments near the Buckeye Shaker Square area has a case pending with the 8th Ohio District Court of Appeals. They they were trying to evict a non-paying renter. Judge Scott says, well, you can't do that until you certify that it's lead safe, which the company did not do or the owner did not do. So attorneys for capital properties management are arguing that the court has no authority to impose lead certification as a condition for eviction because it's not in state law. Judge Scott, on the other hand, says state law is clear on the court's role to enforce health and safety rules. So um, the landlord has asked the 8th District Appeals Court for a review, and they accepted that case on February 2nd. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. But, you know, the, the Northern Ohio Apartment Association is against it, of course. And they said that... Uh, um, that they feel that it's not the, again, it's not the judge's job and what she's doing is kind of against the law. But this, you know, of course, lead advocates were thrilled about this. They said, this is a great way to find these, you know, uh, lead, lead filled apartments and units and, and get rid of them. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the district court of well, appeals you, rules. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are required to provide safe shelter if you're renting to people. And if the court is saying, you're, if you're not within the law, 
we're not going to process your eviction. You know, they've done that with uh, in in other ways. If if a a landlord has not registered their rental with the city rental registry, they can't seek eviction because they're not registered on the rental registry. This seems like an extension of that. That if you're not providing safe housing, you're not within the law, so you have no standing to seek eviction here. You know, bring your house up to standard, and then we can talk about it. I, I just think. It's a really bad optic for the landlords to, to right. be fighting for their right to have dangerous lead filled apartments like, OK, that's not really the side of the line you want to be on. And yet they are. So we'll have to follow this and put some spotlight on the people that are fighting for their right to have lead poisoning. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How far will a big federal grant go toward reclaiming abandoned coal mines in Ohio? And Laura, why is that needed? Well, it's a big deal because there are a lot of abandoned coal mines in the state. They cause problems such as water pollution and landslides. And according to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, there are 6,000 underground coal mines and nearly 450,000 acres of land that were surface mined for coals before the state changed the environmental laws. And that didn't happen until the 1970s. So you could be next to one of these and not even really know it and not have anything done to improve it. But they're in 43 of the of Ohio's 88 counties. And we've got a map on this story. It looks like a lot of them are in southeastern Ohio. So Ohio's getting 46.4 million. It's part of $725 million that 22 states in the Navajo Nation are getting. And the companies that did the mining of the coal that left the hazard, they're not responsible for this at all? I mean, I'm not seeing that in the story. And I think that's been a lot of the concern every time we talk about a new issue with the earth like this, like drilling, like the Lake Erie wind turbines. Everybody knows that these things just get left. The companies end up bankrupt. They have no reason and no recourse to have to fix it themselves. And so the taxpayers are left to clean it up. And these mines pollute neighborhood and by leaking methane. They worsen the climate crisis. They put millions of Americans health at risk. I don't even know if we know all of the health effects on all of this. So the idea is to try to use this money to clean it up. So these poor people who had nothing to do with the mining don't have to suffer the effects. What's the closest one to Northeast Ohio? They're all pretty far away, right? Well, actually, there's a bunch of counties in our area that have them. I I think Cuyahoga was not on the list, but I know I saw Lake and Portage and I believe Summit. But like I said, the the most of them, like the thickest number of them are in the southeast area. And in Athens County, there's a, a group called Rural Action, and they released a statement saying this investment is a game changer. And they've worked for close to 30 years to restore 74 miles of previously dead streams because of this mining. So, I mean, think about it, that's a stream. Part of it went past a mine, but the entire stream got polluted because of this. So this could have really long ranging effects. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What are the entities that have been donating to the campaign of Supreme Court Justice Sharon Kennedy in her quest to be Chief Justice say about her efforts to keep Ohio unfairly gerrymandered? Seth, she is the leading proponent on the court, it seems, of trying to keep everything unfairly skewed for Republicans. It's kind of amazing. And yet a lot of groups are giving her money so that she could be the Chief Justice. 
I thought that, uh, you know, in Laura's story, she quoted uh, the Chamber of Commerce CEO, Steve Stivers, and I thought that that was really indicative of how the business community is going to treat this. He said, what we're focused on is candidates who will not legislate from the bench, candidates who will interpret the Constitution to create certainty for Ohio businesses. By the way, we don't even have a position on the congressional or state legislative lines at all. We're not for or against any of the redistricting efforts. And I think that is generally the kind of dogma that you're going to see from a lot of the, you know, business, insurance, energy communities. Uh, those are sort of the um, industries that Laura highlighted, at least some of them that Laura highlighted in this story. So when you do have, you know, big business donors as you know, obviously Sharon Kennedy has shown she is going to get, they're not particularly concerned with redistricting, you know, only, only as much as that determines who they have to court for whatever, you know, reasons they want. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised at it because if she wins, we're gerrymandered. I mean, if she were the chief justice now, we, we would have the gerrymandered maps, which clearly are not fair, clearly violate the Ohio constitution. Kennedy has shown she's ready to throw away the Ohio Constitution and the amendment voters passed because she puts party ahead of the people. And these are the fee the folks that are funding her campaign. So they're going to be responsible for that. Yeah, but I, I feel like they don't see it that way. And it I, I don't know that gerrymandering, you know, it's a very big issue, right? And we cover it a lot. And I think people are paying attention to it. But kind of to the broader public, is it something that you know, people are going to boycott industries for if they're supporting, you know, uh, candidates who, do, you know, are in favor of gerrymandering or who would side up with a gerrymandered map. I'm a little skeptical that that would yeah. take place as opposed to, you know, if you want to compare it to something, you can compare it to the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020, where that was a mass movement where everybody was watching and paying attention, which is why you did see companies coming out and making statements or even January 6th, right, where you had, you know, some industry associations and business associations saying, hey, we're not like this is serious. We're not going to, um, you know, support candidates who support this kind of action. It's it's because of a it's, it's a consumer driven model, right, because they're worried about what the consumers think about them. Clearly, in this case, you know, the you know, the realtors, the you know American Electric Power, all these companies, nationwide insurance, they don't think that voters care enough to really put any kind of financial or economic pressure on them. They're more concerned about, hey, do we have someone who will side with us when we're in the court? OK, good stuff. It's today in Ohio. Does the work being done to legalize marijuana in Ohio suddenly have some significant resistance? Seth, I think you talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You suggested where the resistance would come from, and you have turned out to be exactly right. Yeah, I always kind of thought that this would be um, so the, the Center for Christian Virtue, which is an evangelical political organization, they announced that they are going to, uh, you know, oppose this. And they are, you know, they do have some significant grassroots support in the state. Um, you know, you can see that by how many political candidates will go and uh, court the group, right? Um, you know, in terms of forums and whatnot. So um, I'm not totally surprised. Again, I guess I kind of predicted it, right? That uh, the, the evangelical groups would probably come out against this. It's very much in line with their kind of past precedent on any kind of uh, relaxation of drug laws or anything like that. Will they have the ability to raise the same level of money as all of the business interests that stand to make millions and millions of dollars if it gets legalized? That's a really good question. And I, 
I guess it really depends on how much buy-in there is from the pro-legalization side. So, you know, the legalization efforts are generally speaking more popular, uh, you know, growing more popular. They can get, you know, small dollar donations, but it is primarily going to be funded by the business side of things, right? The growers, the dispensaries, those, you know, sorts of entities. Uh, you know, the Center for Christian Virtue, they may be able to get some of their members to raise a bunch of money or you know, just decide that, hey, we're, this is, this is what we're going to focus on this year. So I could see them, you know, raising a decent amount of money, but I think the, the, the sort of bigger, um, if you want to call it advantage that they might have is that they do have uh, very passionate members of the organization who may be more willing to volunteer and go door knocking and talk to their neighbors or talk to their church groups or anything like that. So I think that is where a lot of the, um, the potential power comes from. Well, let me ask you this. Would they get into bed with the liquor industry, <laughs> which they're not in favor of, if the liquor industry donated to fight back against marijuana? I mean, that would the evangelicals accept that strange bedfellow in the is an ends justify the means kind of argument? Well, I, you know, Jesus did drink wine, I guess. So um, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, have to, I have to imagine. Yeah, it's anytime in politics, there's always these strange alliances where, you know, maybe the ends do justify the means in terms of what people think. So I, I, I don't know that they will necessarily be working in concert with each other, um, but they, I, you know, yeah, they'll probably obviously they're going to be working toward the same goal. OK, you are listening to Today in Ohio. When is the last time we've gone as long as we have this year with snow on the ground? And is there any end in sight? Laura, you probably hope there is no end in sight. How I mean, once it gets to March, then I'm kind of like, all right, I'm I'm done. Like it can melt now. But 2015 was the last time that we had this kind of a streak. And we're talking about 24 mornings in a row at this point where there's at least a half a snow half an inch of snow on the ground at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. That's where the National Weather Service does the official readings, takes out their tape measure or their ruler and measures it. They're taken every morning at 7 a.m. So this streak began on January 17th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, when, of course, we had that big snowstorm and we're, we're still getting snow. So I, I think we're going to lose a little bit maybe today and this week with uh, some warm weather, but no end in sight, I don't think. Um, but in 2015, the days stretch from January 22nd through March 11th. So we've got a little bit longer to go if we're going to challenge that that number. And the longest streak was 1978. And mm. all the longtime Clevelanders will remember that as the blizzard year. Mm -hmm. how, how long? Uh, that was 65 days, January 9th through March 14th. What we need is one of those rare February days where the temperature gets to 60 or 65 and just obliterates I, I, it all. I think we had all of those in December. Like, I feel like we got our midwinter. I mean, people are talking about this winter, but our winter really did not start until a week into January. So I think it's okay if we get a deep freeze for two months and then then it disappears. I just remember the first year I moved back to Cleveland and it snowed like 38 inches in March. And I was like, oh, come on. Like it has to end at some point. Right. So that's when I well, start getting great. What's been cool is it's been sunny. And so when you go outside, it's spectacularly bright with the bright blue sky. Uh, it's not the kind of the gray, dreary snow 
that you get in most Cleveland winters. It's been a right. Pretty... And with that snow on the ground, it's reflective, it's bright. And yeah. you know, I talked to somebody at the National Weather Service. Our gloomiest month is December because you know that's when the lake still isn't frozen and picks up all that. The air picks up the moisture and and turns it into clouds. So we get gradually more sunny as the winter goes on. So that's always good news. Okay, it's today in Ohio where it's always bright and sunny. <laughs> How many deer did Ohio hunters kill during the recent hunting season and are more taken by bow and arrow than with rifles? Lisa, this, this, the statistics on this were not what I expected. The uh, season that started last September 25th and just ended Sunday, we saw just under 197,000 deer taken, actual number 100,096,988. That's down slightly from the previous season. Interestingly enough, so yeah, they have different seasons. They have an archery season, they have a gun season, they have a youth season, and then they have a muzzle loader season, which really threw me. I didn't know people shot muzzle loaders anymore. But anyway, so um, 46% of the deer taken were does, 43% were bucks, and then 18,000 were button bucks, which are yearlings just shy of their first antler growth. Um, the ODNR, uh, Ohio Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Division Chief Kendra Wecker says that the Ohio deer population is among the strongest in the U.S., and anyone who lives in the eastern suburbs knows that. And uh, we're also a national leader in deer management. So guns and archery were pretty evenly distributed. 51% of the total were taken by guns. 49% were taken by archery. No word on how many were taken by muzzle loaders. <laughs> I know. I just, I, weren't you surprised that nearly half of it was by archer? I didn't realize that that was such a popular way of, of deer hunting. I didn't either. But of course, you know, some, Nobody's... go ahead. Some of these suburbs, um, you know, do use I... archery when they're doing deer culling, they will use archery. I know that. Yeah, I, I just that that was a surprise to me. I'm not a, a hunter, so I just did not know that. So interesting. Um, it I you know we we have lots of deer in all of our neighborhoods because there's no hunting in our neighborhoods, and so they flourish here. Uh, but in the in the more rural parts of the state, this is a popular way of reducing the population. It's today in Ohio, and that'll do it for a Wednesday discussion. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Seth, and thank you, Laura. We'll be back tomorrow for another discussion of the news. 